Right, if you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and get those out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And today we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 15. And I think the entire sermon today is going to be focused on one man. I know most of the time we, we talk about Jesus, but here Jesus talks about John, John the Baptist. So we're going to focus our entire attention on John the Baptist today. He's called John the Baptist as a nickname. That's, that's a good nickname. He's John the Baptizer because he's the one who baptized Jesus. That's one of the greatest uh, roles that anybody could ever play in life was he, he baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the great thing about him was that he spent his whole life not pointing at himself, but pointing at the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said about him here uh, some of the greatest words that can ever be said about anybody. You want this to be said about you. And, but this has been said by, about nobody else. So we're going to look at today, Jesus called John the greatest man who ever lived. That's Jesus' words, that's not mine. Jesus said, he, of, of people that have been born of woman, nobody is greater than John the Baptist. So we're going to look at that today. I'm going to introduce you to, I'm going to let you meet the greatest man who ever lived. So let's stand together. Again, the title of this sermon is The Greatest Man to Ever Live. Uh, we're going to look at verses 7 through 15. The greatest man who ever lived. Starting there in verse 7. And as they departed... Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John. So you see there what's going on at the very outset. Jesus is going to say some things. Some call this a eulogy, that John the Baptist is about to die and have his head cut off, and these are the last words that said about John before he dies, and they're the words of Jesus. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for, for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist." Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffer, suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied up until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you have ears to hear today, and it's not talking about physical ears, because I think everybody, I've not checked, I think everybody in here has physical ears. So what Jesus wants us to hear with isn't physical ears, but with spiritual ears what he's saying today. So may God open our spiritual ears this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, every word of it is truth. Every word of it is valuable, profitable to us. And God, I, I want to hear it today. I want to receive this word today from you. So may you, not just my ears, but every ear in this place, may they be tuned in to you and your word. God, may you open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes that we may see the truths of this passage. And may we see what true greatness looks like. Please help us here today. We need your divine enablement. I need that as I stand up here to preach today. The people in the pews need that. May you grab their attention by your word. 
And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm sure you've all heard of Mount Rushmore, uh, one of the great mountains in, in America. And on Mount Rushmore, uh, I wrote them down because I, I didn't want to mess it up and not get the names right of the faces that are on Mount Rushmore. But on Mount Rushmore are four presidents. And the four presidents are Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Teddy Roosevelt. That's your four presidents that are on Mount Rushmore. And these four presidents are on that mountain. I Googled this this week. I like to check these things out. Are on that mountain because they are considered four of the greatest presidents in our history. And not just four of the greatest presidents in our history, but four of the greatest men in American history. That's the four people that are on, four presidents that are on Mount Rushmore. But, and I want to ask you this question today. If you had a Mount Rushmore of the greatest people that have ever lived, who would you put on that list? Who would you put on that mountain? If they come and ask you who's the top four people that, that are, have ever existed in the history of the world, who would you put on there? Who, who for you are the greatest of all time? Would you say, and I'll just, add, just throw a couple names out here at you, would you say the greatest geniuses of all time? Would you put on your Mount Rushmore of the greatest men and women that ever existed? Would you put Einstein up there? I mean, he's a genius. Would you put his poofy hair up there on Mount Rushmore? I think it would look pretty good up there. Would you put a politician? Would you say, and I know uh, I don't like to get political, but would somebody here say Barack Obama or somebody here say, say Donald Trump? Would somebody just go down the list of all the politicians that we have? Would you put those faces up there as your greatest people who have ever lived? You could go down to, to the kings and the queens that have ever lived or military leaders or, or our military personnel who've went into battle and died in wars fighting for our freedom. Would you put them up there? Let me say, would you put, some people here may put athletes up there. You're going to put your greatest athletes on, on Mount Rushmore of the, the greatest people that have ever lived or famous people or rich people or entertainers. Who would you put up there on the greatest people who have ever lived? My top four would be, and you'd put them on the list. And as I'm saying these things, you guys are thinking. And all of our lists, I think, would be different. Everybody in here, maybe my, my, my kids, because they, they listen to me all the time, maybe they would, my list and their list would be similar, but all of our lists, for the most part, would be different. But if you were to ask Jesus who was on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest people who have ever lived, he wouldn't give you four names, he would give you one name, and one name only, and that name would be John the Baptist. John the baptizer, this man, one man, one name, only one, was not great in the world's eyes. He was not great by the world's standards. He was an outcast. He had no wealth. He had no education, no success. He held no office, and he, had, and he won no wars. In our eyes, in the world's eyes, and by their standard, nobody would put John the Baptist on that pedestal that he is the greatest man who ever lived. But it doesn't matter what the world says or the world's standard. The only eyes that we care about is the ones of Jesus Christ. So in his eyes, maybe not in the world's, maybe not by their standard, he wasn't great, but in the eyes of Jesus Christ, this was the greatest man who ever lived. Nobody else is going up there. He says he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Abraham, he's greater than all the prophets that have come before. No man is greater than John the Baptist. You say, why? Why is he so great in John's eyes? Or Jesus' eyes? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus explains to us why he's great. Why is this man so great in the eyes of Jesus? So if you're looking down, we've been studying this passage in, John, in, in Matthew 11, and we've seen that John had doubts in the first five verses. 
He's in prison. He's struggling with, with doubts and he's struggling with, with uncertainty. He really doesn't know. He, he's, he's questioning whether Jesus is the one to come or not or whether should he wait for a, another. And he asks that question. And in verse 7, as the messengers leave, get this, as the messengers leave in verse 7, as they departed from asking Jesus that question, the crowds that heard that question are now beginning to doubt John. They all thought John was so great and they put him on such a high pedestal and they hear those doubts, they hear those questions, they see the uncertainty and all of a sudden the crowd starts to whisper and they start to say, maybe John isn't as great as we thought he was. Maybe John got in prison and when things got bad, he, and when things were good, John was good. But when things got bad, John just kind of started to fade away and have questions and have doubts and have uncertainty. Maybe John isn't all we thought he was. Maybe he's not what he's all, cra- what he's all cracked up to be. Maybe John isn't too good after all. And Jesus hears those words. He says, stop right where you're at. And Jesus defends the reputation of John. And I can give you an application right now. John's reputation was safe in the hands of Jesus. And your reputation and my reputation may be tarnished out there, may be talked about, spit upon, and we may be hated. But understand this, our reputation is safe in the hands of Jesus. It is said in Matthew chapter 10, and I love this, that those who confess Jesus before men, He will confess them before the Father which is in heaven. And this is John the Baptist who has openly confessed Jesus before all men. And this is a picture to us of Jesus standing up and confessing now John before all men. And He stands up and He says, in defense of Him, don't judge John on one moment of weakness. I like that too. Don't Doubt John because of one time he struggled. It doesn't define his whole life. One time of doubt doesn't define any of our lives. One instance, one time of weakness does not define a life. And Jesus here begins to defend John the Baptist. And again, some say this is a a eulogy. Some say this is Jesus confessing John as, as he will confess John before the Father, which is in heaven. But anyway, Jesus speaks up for John here. And he shows us all in these verses, verses 7 to 15, what true greatness really looks like. And again, understand me, it doesn't matter what the world says or thinks of us. All that matters is what Jesus says and thinks of us. That's all that matters. So we're going to see here today the highest praise and the highest honor that any man has ever been given. You've heard a lot of speeches. You've seen a lot of honors given. We watch these award shows. I, I watch them. I don't know why I watch them. These Oscars, these Emmys. These, uh, I'm sitting there watching these people. I've not seen their movies. I've not listened to their music. I know nothing about them. I'm sitting there glued to the TV. <laughs> and people get up and they'll, they'll get, they have this award in their hand. and they're, The highest honor I could ever be given. It's not a, an award. It's the words of what Jesus will say about you. That's what matters. So let's look at it and see what Jesus says about the greatest man to ever live. John the Baptist goes to the top of the mountain. Let's look at it. I'm going to break it down to you in, in three points. I want to show you first of all, and, you, and we need to grab these and take them with us. Number one, the character of greatness. He shows us, at the very outset of this passage, his character. And I say the word character. Character means who we are. 
So Jesus is going to describe who he is. It's what he's like. It's what kind of man John is. He describes what kind of man he is. That's it. We all need good character. And that's what he's going to describe here is not good character, but great character, the great character of John the Baptist. And what kind of man was John? Number one, he was a humble man. I like that. When we think of greatness, we usually think of, when I do, you think of somebody who's usually very, very powerful, very prominent, in, in, a, in a big place with lots of money and nice clothes and all the finer things in life. We think of somebody in a palace. That defines greatness to us. We think of Hollywood. We think of athletic ability. We think of a king. We think of a queen. We think of palaces. Where's John at in this passage? Not in a palace, but in a prison. He's in a humble environment. He's in a humble setting. He's not in a, in a palace. He's in a, in a prison. And he's not showing forth great pride. He's showing forth great humility. And he goes to his followers and he says, I, I have doubts. I have questions about Jesus. Very humbly. Very lowly. Very meek. He's not ashamed in front of his followers to let them know, hey, I'm not the greatest in the world. I have doubts. I struggle. I go through things. He's not ashamed that he has weaknesses. I do that. I I'm ashamedly do that with my kids today. They'll go out in the basketball court and I'll say, show no weakness. They may hurt you, but don't you dare show them that you're hurt. Don't you dare show them that they got you. Don't you dare show them any kind of doubt at all. You go out there and if you're hurt, you play through it. You, and I'll, I'll tell my boys, you, you grin and bear it, man. I mean, you, you may be hurt deep down, but you sit there and you, you look right back, you know. And John was a humble man. He wasn't ashamed to show weakness. He wasn't ashamed to show struggles, just like every single one of us go through. Greatness isn't not having weaknesses. Greatness is being willing to show those weaknesses and to work through those weaknesses. And that's what he's showing here. It's humility. I love that about John. He's dependent. He's reliant upon Jesus. He doesn't know it all. Being great doesn't mean you know everything. Being great doesn't mean you have all the answers to all the questions. Being great is willing to admit, I don't know everything, but I want to work towards finding it out. He didn't know everything about Jesus, but he knew where to go to get the answers that he needed. He was a humble man. In God's eyes, get this, pride isn't what's great. Humility is great in God's eyes. I can give you verses on that. Colossians 3.12 says that Christians should clothe themselves not in pride, not in power, but in humility. And that's missing in our culture today. James 4.6 says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Mark 10 says, whoever shall be great among you, let him be your servant. Humility is a mark of greatness. And John had humility. Let me give you another one. You want to see not just humility, but courage. You say, where's courage at in this? Look what it says in verse 7, at the end of verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? To the crowds that he's standing there with, he said, what made you go out and see John? What made you go out into the wilderness? And that would be a 30, 40, 50 mile journey that they all left the, the cities to go out into the wilderness to see John. Why did they go see John? What made you want to go and see John the Baptist out there in the woods? Why would anybody go out there and see him? 
And he says, was it? Look what he says. Was it? I love this right here. Was it because he was a reed shaken with the wind? A reed was a piece of grass, a very tall piece of grass, that as the wind blowed, it would go back and forth. I... I mean, just a little puff of wind would make a reed grow, go really just back and forth. And a strong wind would make a reed bow all the way down to the ground. A reed was broken like that. It wasn't strong. It's not a good piece of wood. It's a reed that just flows back and forth. And that's what he's asking. Did you go out there to see John, who's like a reed that just blows back and forth? Well, you go out there to see John, who's just blowing back and forth with every wind of doctrine and just following popular culture? Do you think John was like those, those uh, advertisement balloons? I, I can't do it. I told myself I would not do it. <laughs> Can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show her restraint here. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I put in my notes, don't do it, Josh. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Just blowing back and forth. Their arms, yeah, okay. They're, they're, they're just blowing back and forth. <laughs> and as the wind blows, sometimes you see those things out there, and they're all, the wind's blowing so hard that their head's all the way on the ground. And then the, other, the next time you drive by, and they're on this side, and they're all the way on the ground, and they're just blowing back and forth. That's what a reed is. And Jesus said, did you go out there to see a man like that? That's just blowing around, that, that he's, he's following every popular fad, that he's going out there taking polls about what he should say and what he should do? Is that who you went to see? No way! That's not who John was. He's not blown around by, by every uh, wind of doctrine. You didn't go out there to see a coward. You went out there to see a man of courage and conviction. That's who John was. John didn't get this. John didn't yield to the popular opinion and the fads of the day. John stood straight up no matter what happened. If the king come along and said, we're going we're to do this, John didn't blow that way. We're going to do this, we're going to blow that way. John stood tall with strong conviction and courage. That's who John was. He didn't bow down to the culture. He wasn't changing with the weather. That's not who John was. John stood up to the religious leaders. Matthew chapter 3, the religious leaders come walking in all big and powerful. And he looks at them and says, you vipers. <laughs> Is that blowing around to you? Repent or the judgment fires will fall on you. Standing strong. John wasn't a question mark bowed over. John was an exclamation point standing straight up. With courage and conviction. He stood for what he believed in. That's who John was. He did, and he didn't bow down to the politicians of the day. When Herod married his, his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, he didn't say, oh, you know, it's, it's personal, it's private, it's no big deal, let them have their way. He went nose to nose with Herod and said, that's wrong. He got his head cut off for it. He wasn't blowing around. He was standing strong. I love that about John. Right was right and wrong was wrong, no matter what the world said about it. Get this. He stood up for the truth no matter what the cost was. And I, I don't want to say this and, and apply it to all of us, but we need more men like that. We need more men and women of conviction and of courage who will stand up when the, all of society says, no, that's wrong. We'll stand up and say, no, it's right. When culture says, no, 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 that's okay. Let it go. Let it pass. We'll stand up and say, no, that's wrong. 
When they say there's more ways to God, we say no, Jesus is the only way. You guys have heard the story of a certain preacher out in Texas who got on Larry King Live. And Larry King looked at him and he said, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? And this certain preacher that I won't name, I probably will, but I don't want to. You guys see that I don't have much restraint. This certain preacher, because Larry King's an atheist, he said, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Because if Jesus is the only way, then this one's go to hell, and this one will go to hell. Do you believe that, Mr. Preacher? And this certain preacher that will not be named, and I quote, said, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is the only way. I don't know. I don't know. We need men who know. We need men who will stand. Be courageous and have conviction. That's the kind of people we need. We need men like John the Baptist who will stand when, when everybody else is bowing down. This is what we need. Humble men who will stand for what's right and stand against what's wrong. We've got too many people today that's I said I wouldn't do it, but now I'm in it. I might as well go for it. <laughs> bowing down to everything. All oh, the politicians say it's wrong. I better go with it. <laughs> Mr. Celebrity says it's okay. I better go with it. Now John would stand, even if he got his head cut off. Let me give you another one. He wasn't a reed shaking in the wind. Verse 8, he said, well, what did you go out to see? <laughs> a man clothed in soft raiment. Did you go out to see a soft man? <laughs> and that soft would mean silky and satin clothes. Did you go out to see a dainty man? Is that what you went out to see? The, the word there means effeminate. Did you go out to see somebody prancing around? And I will not do that. <laughs> I got some restraint. <laughs> Did you go out to see a dainty man? An effeminate man? A man dressed in, in, in palace-type clothes? And what that would be it would be like a, a jester in the, in the palace. They would have these, these guys come and do their little dances for the kings and queens. Is that who you went to see? In fine clothes and silk and satin clothes? Is that what you were looking for when you went out into the, the, to the wilderness to find John? Did you look for a guy who's, who's in ease and comfort and, and indulging himself? Is that what you went for? And Jesus says, no way. That's not what, what you went out to see because John was nothing close to that. What did John wear? I like this. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt. That's what he wore. It wasn't silk and fine linen. He was out there roughing it in the wilderness. He was a man's man out there. I'll give you another one. He ate. He wasn't eating the, the delicacies of the palace. He was eating locusts dipped in honey. He wasn't living in the palace. He was living in the wilderness. He was a, a Nazarite, which he took a Nazarite vow, which meant that he would not shave his face or his head. And he would ne never touch strong drink. He wasn't in the palace parties, hanging out and doing all the, all the things that all the, the high and the mighty and the rich and the comfortable and the self-indulgent and the self-centered self -centered would do. He wasn't hanging out around those people because John wasn't in it for himself. He was selfless, not self-centered. 
He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts. And he spent his entire life pointing at somebody else. It never was about John. It was always about Jesus. His most famous statement is, I must decrease and he must increase. I go lower and he goes higher. I'm not in it for what I can wear. I'm not in it for what I can eat. I'm not in it for where I can live. I'm in it for Jesus. He was a selfless man. He actually said, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. It was never about John. It was always about Jesus. The singular focus of his life was the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest man who ever lived spent his entire life pointing at the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be great? Don't point at yourself. Point at Jesus. Make your life about Jesus and not about yourself. That's who John was. That's a great character. And something that's missing in our culture today. We don't have selfless people in, in, anymore. We've got selfish people in, in our culture. It's all about self. It's all about me. It's all about fulfilling my desires and indulging my flesh and doing what I want to do, how I want to do it. I, wanna, I, I need to do this and I need to do that. It's I, 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 I. And John was all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Him, 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 him. And you've got a culture today that will stand for nothing. It's amazing to me that even some of the Strongest places and strongest people are bowing down to the culture. We need more men like John the Baptist. But it wasn't just his character. I'm moving on. It wasn't just his character that was great. Because character will only take you so far. It was also about his calling. The character and now the calling of greatness. Verses 9 through 15, we see his calling. You say, what is a call? Most people don't know, speak in those terms of a call anymore. When we say call, we think of a, a phone call. Most people don't even do calls anymore. It's texts. Uh, I, I can call people and ring, 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 and text them, and like that, they're texting me back. So we don't do a lot of calls. But you say, what's, what's a call? What does it mean by John's call? A call is something that God has set you apart to do. It's something that, 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 that God has, I, I believe for every one of us, a place for us, a plan for us, and a will for us that He set us aside to do something in this life for Him. It's not just greatness. It isn't just about who you are. Greatness is also about what you do. You can't just be great in your character. You also have to be great in what you do for Christ. So John wasn't just great in his person. He was also great in his position, his call, what God set him apart to do. And, and it's amazing to me that the Bible says that God set John apart even in the womb of his mother to do a certain task that was great. He had a job for him to do. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I have certain jobs for all four of my kids in this church. We come in on Sunday morning and all four of my kids, they know what they're supposed to do. They're going to, one's going to lights, one's TVs, one's, you know, just to go sit in my office and be good. But it's just, <laughs> there's certain jobs that dad has called them to do in the church. And as soon as they walk in, they go run and they, they go in their certain places and do their things. And everybody has a call. But John's call was the greatest call anyone could ever have. Look what it says he does. First of all, verse 9, But what went ye out to see? A prophet. 
John was called to be a prophet. A prophet is a spokesman for God. That speaks on behalf of God. That shows up and says, God said. That's a prophet. I have heard from God and now I'm telling you what God said. That's a prophet. He's called to speak on behalf of God. There is no greater calling in the world than to speak on behalf of God. He's getting direct communication from God here and speaking on behalf of God. And they knew in that time that nobody had a calling like a prophet. They put him on a pedestal. When prophets walked into town, everybody said, Ooh, there's the prophet. What's God saying? Everybody wanted to hear from God. So prophets would walk around as the greatest calling in the world. You wanted to be called to be a prophet. It was the highest honor. It was a a big deal. But watch this. Look what it says. Did you go out to see a prophet? Verse 9. No, you went out to see more than a prophet. This guy was above and beyond all the other prophets who ever lived. He wasn't just a prophet. He was more than a prophet. If you put prophets on a pedestal, you guys ever watch the Olympics and they got, you know, these different stages or steps that they have and you got the, the bronze is down here and the silver is up here and the gold is up here. I used to imagine myself going to the Olympics, Winter Olympics with that thing where you push that thing on the ice and I would be, <laughs> I could win the gold in that. And you stand at the top, one down here and one down here. You'd have your medal, and they're playing your national anthem. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's prophets, and they're here, and they're here, but head and shoulders above all the other prophets who have ever lived in the history of the world stands John the baptizer. He stands head and shoulders above them all. His calling is the greatest calling in the history of the world. You say, why is his calling so great? It's a good question. Jesus tells us. Went out to see a prophet? No, you went out to see more than a prophet. For this is he. And then he describes him to us. This is he. Of whom it is written. Do you see that? Most prophets, no other prophet was prophesied. He was a prophesied prophet. He was spoken of 400 years before he actually showed up. He was prophesied in Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, 5 that a prophet's going to come and is going to lead the way before Jesus shows up, before the Messiah shows up. You can go back and read that. It's on, just on the, as you go in between the, the, the New Testament and the Old Testament, Malachi and then Matthew, it's in Malachi. And 400 years separates that prophecy from John the Baptist showing up. He was a prophesied prophet and that set him apart. I'll give you another one. He got to prepare the way before the Messiah. He was the last prophet to speak before Jesus showed up. He's introducing Jesus. He's preparing the way for Jesus. He's the one that is going to be opening up the way. That he's going to stand and say, prepare the way before the Messiah comes. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Repent. Get ready. Jesus is on his way. He's almost here. No other prophet had that. Go to the Old Testament, they'd say, he's coming, but it wasn't close. He's coming, but it wasn't close. He's coming, but it wasn't close. John the Baptist shows up and says, he's coming. And it's right now. He's preparing the way. He's introducing. He's setting the stage. He's getting everything ready. He's clearing the road. Jesus is coming. 
Everybody get ready. But it's not just that he prepared the way. This is really what set him apart here. He was a prophesied prophet who prepared the way. It's a lot of peace. A prophesied prophet who prepared the way and personally seen the Messiah. No other prophet gets to see their prophecy fulfilled. John saw the prophecy fulfilled. John not only said, get this, I love this part of this. I know you guys may not love it as much as I do, but these things just pop out to me like a pop-up book that you'd read with your kids and it's like hit you right in the face. John not only said, he's coming, he's coming, get ready, get ready, Jesus is on his way. John said, he's here. This is him. I'm standing next to him. I'm baptizing him. I'm I'm telling you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's not just coming. He's here. What's all those P words? He was a prophesied prophet who prepared the way and personally saw his prophecy. Don't ask me to say that again. (laughs) That's what set him apart as... The greatest prophet who ever lived. He had, this is so good, one hand in the Old Testament, prophesying that he's coming, and one hand in the New Testament saying, he's here. Nobody else had that. You can put John in the middle of the Old and the middle of the New with one hand outreached in both directions. He was able to prophesy his coming. And then to become the preacher that says he's here. That set him apart as the greatest prophet. And had the greatest call of any man who ever lived. Anybody else got that? Anybody else? I'll compare him. I think I compared him last week to Mary. Jesus' mother. What a call. To carry the son of God. That was a call. But then you got John the Baptist. There's no other prophet with a hand in the old and a hand in the new. Touching the old covenant and introducing the new. Like John the Baptist. And I'll give you another one. It wasn't just that his calling was great and he did those things. I mean, there's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of callings. There's a lot of places. But this is, there's none like this one. I'm thankful for what God's called me to do. But my calling wasn't to do what John the Baptist did. My call, all of our calls, are so much lower than John the Baptist. That's why he's the greatest man who ever lived. Not just his character, but his call. Let me give you one more thing that he did. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied up till John. And if you'll receive it, this is Elijah, which is for to come. You say, what is that saying? I I love that word in verse 12, violence. From day one until now, violence describes the impact that he had in his calling. It describes the force that this man preached with. This describes the effort that he put into what he did. John's ministry from day one was impactful. From the first mention we have of him in his mother's womb, as his mother walks up pregnant, and Jesus' mother Mary walks up pregnant, 
And John the Baptist starts kicking in the womb. <laughs> so get me out of here. I, I've got to go and, and preach Jesus. I'm violent. So I mean, his, his impact, he's, he's on fire. He's, he's ready to go. There's nothing dull about this man. There's nothing indifferent about this man. There's no, ah, take it or leave it. No, 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 no. This man had an impact like none other in the history of the world. He had an impact. Imagine it in your head. Like you take a large stone and you take and you throw it in a, in a, in a steel pond. How far is that ripple effect going to go? It's going to splash and it's going to ripple effect all the way out. John's impact from day one when he hit has rippled all the way to here we are in 2020 talking about John the Baptist. What an impact this man had. Unbelievable. I mean, everywhere he went, <laughs> I like this, nose to nose with Herod, calling the religious leaders of the time vipers. <laughs> Who does that? It's like everywhere he went, he's stirring a hornet's nest. Just making people mad at him. And that's, that's what the impact that he had. It shows what great men do. They make an impact. Compared him to Elijah in verse 14. Just like Daniel. What did Daniel do? Impact. People got mad. People got upset. He stirred the hornet's nest. People didn't like Daniel. Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. It wasn't because he was a likable guy. Stephen in the New Testament, stoned to death. Impact. That's what great men do. When they leave, there's still a ripple effect of who they were and what they did. Character lives on. The calling lives on. And it keeps on rolling and, and, and keeps on rippling as it goes. How about Paul? Every city Paul went into, he'd come in and drop that stone, ripple effects, they'd run him out and try to kill him. That's the impact that he had. I can go on. I mean, that's all biblical people there. I mean, you go on into history. Martin Luther, I mean, here I stand, I can do no other. Impact. Germany's never been the same since Luther left. Jonathan Edwards, America is as it is today, a Christian nation. I know we're losing it, but it's a Christian nation today because of men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Charles Spurgeon was hated in his time. You guys know I love Spurgeon. He was hated. His wife said, nobody will know the impact of Charles Spurgeon until 20 years after he's dead. And here we are, over 100 years later, and we're talking about the the prince of all preachers. The impact that he had on England. I, I listened to a professor one day. Get this. I know you guys don't care, but I do. <laughs> I was listening to a preacher one time from England. And he was from the same neighborhood that Charles Spurgeon preached in in England. Get this. Man, this, this fascinates me. And he said that there are still men in that neighborhood in England who mimic and talk like and use the same accent that Charles Spurgeon did in the 1800s. That they still try to be Charles Spurgeon. That's the impact of a great man's life that it ripples throughout generations. It says they take them by violence, they take it by storm, they cause a stir. John's life had an impact 
that we still feel the ripple of today. And Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what I just said about this man. He's the greatest man who ever lived. Man. I said this was like a confession that Jesus would make before the Father in heaven. And I picture that in my mind. He says, if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father in heaven. That is, Satan accuses us before the Father in heaven and says doubts and fears and worries and weaknesses. And Jesus stands up and says, let me tell you. Let me tell you about his character. Let me tell you about his calling. Let me tell you about this man, this woman. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what I just said about John. So we've just seen the character of greatness and the calling of greatness. And I now show you one more thing. I want to show you the comparison of greatness. The comparison. Because you guys notice I skipped that main verse in verse 11. I, I didn't, didn't say anything about it. I know you guys that follow me real close pay attention to those things. I, I missed a verse one time in a sermon. When, and, and I had somebody walk up to me and say, you missed a verse? And I said, I've got to go back and preach that verse now. But I skipped verse 11 there on purpose. Because there he gives us a comparison of greatness. He says this. He says, verily, and, and that means truly. That means there's no denying it. You can't argue with him. What Jesus says is fact. There's nobody in here that can say, well, you know, who, you know, I really don't think Jesus is right on that. Nobody would dare say that in here. What Jesus says goes. So he says, verily, truly, I say unto you, that among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. So we fully established that. His character is unsurpassed. His calling is unparalleled. We fully established, and you guys should all say now, that was the whole point of what I've just done, is that I've just set the bar so high that John is on another level from every single one of us. He is so great. We've established that. You, know, you understand that. Everybody in here is now saying, I get it, Josh. Quit. He's great. I understand and now Jesus throws a twist in here. And, and I love that he does this. Just a little twist here. Because he says, and, and look what he says. There's no, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding. <laughs> you see that twist? Notwithstanding. He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. We just said there's none greater than John the Baptist. Didn't we just say that? That his character is unsurpassed. That his calling is, is unparalleled. That he is standing on the podium. He's on Mount Rushmore of greatness. And nobody can even touch how high he is. And now Jesus says, wait just a second. But the least of those in the kingdom is greater than he is. What in the world does that mean? My character isn't anywhere close to John the Baptist. Nowhere close. My calling, you know this, is nowhere close to John the Baptist. I don't have a hand in the old and a hand in the new. I'm not baptized. Name one other person in the history of the world who baptized the Son of God. I baptized Christian, my, my, my son. It, I love him, but it doesn't compare. I baptize some of you. I'm sorry. I love you. But it wouldn't be like baptizing the Son of God. John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, was baptizing the Son, heard the voice of the Father, and saw the Spirit fall like a dove. 
Anybody here seen or experienced that? No. How in the world can the least me be greater than John? What is Jesus saying here? What does that, that mean? He's flipping it. The, the least, the lowest of the low will be above the greatest. How does that work? It's an absolutely astounding statement. That the least gifted will be above the highest gifted? That the least significant will be above the most significant? That the least prominent will be above the most prominent? What's that mean? I thought about it. I thought, I'll just stop it here and tell them to come back next week and I'll tell them. What does that mean? Commentators say about a hundred different things, and I won't tell you all of them. I'll just give you 99 of them. Uh, (laughs) I want to give you two. And I think it means both of these things. Number one, I think it means that what we have is so much greater than what John had. Johnny talked about it in Sunday school this morning. John's life ended, I think, in Matthew 14, when they bring his head on a platter before King Herod. And his disciples take his body and bury it, and it's over and done. He baptized Jesus. He saw a few miracles, heard about some miracles. He prophesied, was powerful, had a great calling, had great character. But he never saw the fullness of what Jesus would do. When his head was cut off, do you understand that he didn't see and he didn't experience and he didn't understand that Jesus would go on a cross and die for our sins? I've seen greater than John saw. He didn't see and he didn't understand and he didn't know. He never preached to crucify Jesus. I stand today and preach to you a crucified Savior. Behold the Lamb of God that has taken the sins of the world. That's greater. I've got a greater message than he had. You've got a greater message than he had. Let's go on. He didn't see, and I've got to hurry. He didn't see the burial of Christ. That Jesus went into a tomb on Friday evening, stayed on Saturday, and guess what he did on Sunday morning? Up from the grave he arose, a mighty victor over his foes. He didn't see the resurrection. He didn't see the glorified resurrection, resurrected Christ. He saw the baptized Christ. He saw, he saw the, the Spirit fall like a dove. He, saw, he heard the voice of the Father. Oh, I'm getting ready to go somewhere if you'll pay attention. He saw the baptized Jesus. He didn't see the re- resurrected Jesus. Oh, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. We know He's resurrected. We preach the resurrection. We say all the other gods and deities and all the idols, they're all dead and gone and buried. But our Savior lives. I've got a greater message than He had. I've got a resurrected Savior. I'm not greater than John, but boy, I've got a greater message. I'll give you this. (laughs) You guys ready for this? He saw the baptized Jesus, but He didn't see the resurrected Jesus. He saw the Spirit fall. He didn't have the spirit within. Hmm. I've got greater than he does. Because I've got the Holy Spirit living within me. 24-7. I've got a greater power living within me than he had living within him. So you better believe 
I've got greater privileges than John the Baptist ever had. Let me give you another one. You want another one? I know you do. You didn't nod, but you do. He saw the baptized Jesus, but he never saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw the Spirit fall from heaven like a dove, but he never had the Spirit within him like we do. He heard the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, but he never had the voice of God in a book. We've got greater. We've got greater. He heard the voice of the Father once. You get me? You with me? Maybe more. He was a prophet. He might have heard the voice of God, but never like that before. But here we are right now, and every time we open the Word of God, we get the voice of God. You want to hear the voice of God like He did? Read your Bible out loud. That's God's Word speaking to you. Here it is. Come to church, and the Word of God is proclaimed. We have greater than John the Baptist has. That's, that's amazing to me. Johnny said this morning, these are the good old days. I love that he told Adam. He said, Adam, I know when you get to heaven, you're going to want to talk to David. You're going to talk to you know, Isaiah. You're going to want to talk to all these people and ask them about their lives. But they're going to want to come talk to you and ask you about what you had. You had a Bible? You had the Spirit living within you? You knew about the resurrected Jesus Christ? You better believe I did. I'll have circles of Old Testament prophets all around me. Josh, tell me. Josh, tell me. My character ain't like John's. My calling ain't like John's. But oh, my Christ is greater. You better believe it is. That's just number one. You guys want number two? I'll give you another one. You want another one? Here we go. Last one and we'll close. I'm doing good on time. It means that we have greater. And it means we don't have to be great. It means we have greater. And we don't have to be great. Look at this with me. Look, look what it says. I, I love these terms. Verse 11. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom, kingdom of heaven being, get this, it's eternal life. Kingdom of heaven is eternal life. It's sal- the, the, the realm of salvation. It's going to heaven. It's, 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 it's a, a word that describes all that we get at salvation. You, you enter into the kingdom and, and it's, it's entering into salvation. The kingdom is, is being saved. And he says the least inside the kingdom. You see that? The least is in and the greatest is in the kingdom. The least is in the kingdom and the greatest is in the kingdom. I don't have to be as great as John to get into heaven. I don't have to be. We don't have to be great to get in. The great is in. The least is in. It's not dependent upon my character being great, me getting into heaven. It's not dependent upon my calling in order to get me into heaven. I don't have to have this character that's head and shoulders above everybody else. When we get to heaven, it's not about our greatness. It's not about our calling or all character. It's even Stevens in heaven. We all get in the same way by the Lord Jesus Christ and His greatness. I don't have to be great. I rest in that. I can quit trying to be great because Jesus is already great. He's what gets us into heaven. John couldn't get in on his greatness. You better believe ain't none of us getting in on our greatness. If John who's up here can't get in, you better believe I can't work my way in. The only way any of us will ever get into heaven is based upon the greatness of Jesus Christ. I don't have to work. I don't have to run. I don't have to do all these things trying to be great to get into heaven. Jesus is already great enough. John's in. 
least is in, everybody gets in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you one more thing here. Turn with me to Matthew 18. How do you get in, Josh? If you don't have to be great, how do you get in? If you don't have to be great, how do we get into the kingdom? If you don't have to be great, how do you get saved? If you don't have to be great, how do you get in? Matthew 18 tells us, watch this. You guys are going to be, your wigs are going to be flipped. (laughs) I hope nobody has a wig on. Verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Don't you love how Scripture just interprets Scripture? What's this? They're fighting over greatness. Who will stand out? Who will be some down here and some down here? And who will be up here? What's this? And Jesus, in verse 2, And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Jesus got an infant. Little child, infant. And some people say this was Peter's kid. And Jesus takes an infant and sets this infant on his lap. And that infant rests on his lap. That infant, don't you love how Jesus accepts kids? That, that, that little infant's comforted and, and happy in the, in the lap of the Son of God. And Jesus says, I, I love what he says here, and we'll close. He sits him in his lap, and he says, If you want to get into the kingdom, verily I say unto you, truly I say unto you, except you be converted and become as this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see that? Become like a child. Simple, humble, resting and trusting. Not one thought of your own greatness. That child never said, I've got to be great to get in. <laughs> that child never said, I have to have great character. I have to have a great calling. That child just had to have faith in the one that he was resting in his lap. That's all that it takes. It doesn't take greatness to get in. It takes childlike faith to get in. That's all that it takes. I was in FCA, and I'll go on here. He says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's how you get in. It's back to where we started. It's humility. I'm not great. I don't have great character. I'm so glad that I don't have to go and find me some camel hair clothes and a leather belt and start eating locusts, dipping them in honey, Growing my hair out with a big long beard and living in the woods. I don't have to do that. All I have to do to be great in the kingdom of heaven. I said we was going to talk about true greatness. All that I have to do to be great is rest in Jesus Christ. That's all any of us have to do. And if you do that, the least will be above the greatest. All we have to do to be great. Greatness isn't. In what everybody says it is, greatness is found in Jesus Christ. That's it. I was in FCA this week. Thursday morning, I get to come into FCA at the middle school, and I get to to preach to about 30 kids in a classroom in the middle school. And I got up there Thursday morning, and I'm I'm like a broken record in in that place. Those kids probably sit there and say, he says the same thing every single time he comes. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's gospel, gospel, gospel. That's all that he does. That's all that he says. He's Josh the Gospelizer. (laughs) I was waiting on that one. (laughs) I got up there. I've got two minutes. 
And I drew on the board, whiteboard, I drew a cross. And it was a good cross. <laughs> and I showed them, and I had 30 or 40 kids, just eyes glued, ears to hear, just ready to receive. And I said, what do you, what do you think about when you see this cross? And some of them said, Jesus. I said, good. Some of them said, oh, I got a necklace with a cross on. I said, good. Some of them said, oh, when I drive through town, I see crosses all over the windows and all over the steeples of the churches. I said, that's good. Some of them said, oh, I got a, uh, a dad that has a tattoo of a cross on his shoulder. And I think of that. I said, okay, that's good. But let me tell you what the Bible says about the cross. And I wrote all around the cross. I wrote suffering. I told them about the suffering of Jesus. And I wrote above it, substitution. That the just died for the unjust. And the righteous died for the unrighteous. And those who were, uh, the, the, that who was sinless died for the sinful. And I explained to them that it, it was my cross. It was my punishment. He took my wrath. That, that's what the cross is. And then I wrote down here on the bottom, I put salvation. The cross, suffering substitution was meant to bring us salvation. He was meant to bring us to God. Because we couldn't get to God any other way. Someone must die. Someone must take our place. It's either Him or it's me. And I said, when you see the cross, think of those three words that I wrote on the bottom. I said, if you want to be saved, here's the word. Faith. All you have to, believe, all you have to do is believe what I just told you. And you can be saved. How many of you want to be saved today? Children. Ears wide open. I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I want to go to heaven. You go to a college campus, they'd say suffering. What's that? Substitution? Somebody taking my place? Even in churches today, some of you sitting here saying, I don't believe none of that stuff. Unless you become as a little child and say, I believe every bit of that. That Jesus is the only way that I can get to heaven. We all must become little least, smallest, lower, if we ever want to be higher in the kingdom of heaven. So I call on you today, every single person that will be saved and get to heaven won't get there by their own goodness or greatness. They'll get there by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I call on you today to be as a little child. Be as a little child. Here in this room today, you don't even have to walk this aisle and come to this altar. You can, but I want you there today to just say, I trust you with my life, my sins, my eternity. I believe in Jesus. You say, is it that simple? Why should we ever make it more complicated? Shame on us. Shame on me for making it more complicated than I trust Jesus. I'm not great. He is. I'm not good. He is. I can't pay the price. He did. I trust Jesus. Stop trying to be great and rest in His greatness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. What a, what a great, great, great gift we have in Your Word. So good. So blessed to have it. And I pray, God, today that You would use Your Word to accomplish that for what You've set it out to do that you would work in hearts and that you would make all of us like children 
just believe and trust in what your word says. Please. And if there's anybody here today that's lost, unbelievers, without Christ, still in their sin, may today be the day they just rest. Quit working, quit laboring, quit trying. Your greatness will never be good enough. Just trust in what Jesus has already done. Just sit in his lap like that little infant and trust him. God, that old song says, only trust him, only trust him. He will save you now. May we today in this room only trust him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the music plays, the offer's up.